This, this is Brock and Salk. Brock Ewart is my hero. Jay Buter just punched me in the kidney. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. On Seattle Sports. What we're going to do, you are a manager. It doesn't really work that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Brought to you by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Now, here are your hosts, Brock Ewart and Mike Salk. Hello! Hello. Hopefully everyone's having a happy Friday. Certainly off to a good start. Mariners get a big win. The Seahawks have plenty going on. Mock game tonight, capping off a big first week of padded practice. Mike Lefko and Brady Henderson in with you. Don't worry, Morris here and Justin is here. They're they're both there in the back. Salk not here. Brock not here, but Brock uh, gracious enough to join us as a guest on his own program, right? Coming up at 730. We had a Kind of corral him into doing this, but there is a lot to talk about, about the Pac-12 and changing by the minute now with some more news coming out. So we'll get into that a little bit at 7.15 and then a little bit further with Brock at 7.30. But Brady, with the Seahawks mock game here, it is upon us, wanted to get into some looming position battles. And I know this is much different than last year where there was just one. Yeah. There was one that dominated headlines. And yeah, there were other spots up for grabs. You had some tackle positions being determined because we didn't truly know if a guy like Abe Lucas would win that spot outright to start week one. But really, it was it was the quarterbacks. You know, that's that that's what defined training camp. But here you have a couple that on the surface might not seem as important, but they do seem pretty critical when you look at, okay, who's going to actually snap the ball to Geno Smith? That's a pretty fundamental position because the center touches the ball every single play, and that is an open battle right now. Yeah, and it's more interesting, too, because of the history there and how much that position has been a revolving door with eight different players uh, over the last eight seasons starting at least one game there, and then I think it's 11 over the past 10 seasons going back to you know the Max Unger, Super Bowl, Seahawks days. So uh, there's been a lot By of turnover way, there. That, so I just have to bring this up because when you mentioned that stat to Bump and Stacy, I think it was Curtis and Stacy on the night of the draft, Dave Wyman heard that, and he will always bring that up every single time <laughs> there's a topic about the centers. He goes, well, yeah, as you know, Brady said that one time with, uh, with Bump and Stacy, the 11 centers. So that has permanently embedded itself in Wyman's brain. Yeah, that must have been a memorable moment. It was, it was yeah. a memorable stat for him. I guess so, yeah. But no, it is it is remarkable just how that's the that's been one position that they have not been able to get much uh, or really any outside of Justin Britt. Now, for about a two-and-a-half-year stretch, he was good, and he was there, and then he got hurt and the, you know had a big contract that uh, sort of meant the end of his tenure there. But outside of that, he just had one guy after another there. And so normally... You know, center is not the most intriguing position, but given the history, I think it is. And given the fact that they spent a draft pick on Olu, Olu Atimi, uh, and then they signed Evan Brown to kind of what for them is a typical, you know, sort of middle market, lower end free agent type deal, short term deal, one year deal. Um, so, yeah, that that is an interesting battle there. And we've seen um, those guys kind of take turns every day, like each guy gets a turn uh, with the number one offensive line. And so. Um, it's very much uh, up in the air in terms of that battle. And here's Pete Carroll about what might happen today in the mock game and how that's going to determine the center battle. It'll it's taking shape. It, it'll it, you know I'm not both both of the guys that won two uh, are, are are battling. We know Joey can do everything we need him to do. So Joey's not getting as many reps as we as we uh, investigate the new guys. Uh, but you'll uh, you'll see Evan. We'll, we'll go tomorrow, you know, and he'll he'll get the first shot at it, and we'll we'll just see as we go. We've alternated them. You've noticed that, and uh, uh, we'll see how long we we you know we need to keep doing that. Tomorrow's a really big day for both those kids to show us. 
That's a polite way of saying uh, Joey Hunt's not going to be the starting center. No. I appreciate that. For yeah. People. No, and, and I think it's clear that, you know, they, they know what they've got in him. He is a veteran guy who knows their system, been in a few Seahawks systems now. So I think it's most likely that he is the, the practice squad guy. And, and with the new practice squad, practice squad rules, um, they're more available, like spots are more available to veteran guys like him. So I think he's more of an emergency option at this point. They know what they have in him, and it's a two-man race between Evan Brown and uh, Oluwatimi. I think if if they had gone with a younger quarterback, even Drew Locke or a draft pick, then I think Evan Brown would have a leg up uh, because you want to uh, – knowing that with a young quarterback, more of that pre-snap you know, responsibility is up to the center in terms of getting everybody lined up changing the protections and all that. When you've got a veteran guy like Geno Smith back there, he doesn't need that as much from the center. And so I I think it's it's totally I, – I, in fact, if you ask me right now, I don't think I could call it because I think it's it's totally 50-50 right now in terms of who starts. Certainly, Oluwatimi is, is they hope, the long-term answer there. And Evan Brown, again, is only on a one-year deal. So um, Oluwatimi is more likely of the two to be the long-term answer there. But they've got a guy in Evan Brown who – uh, played pretty well at center two years ago for Detroit. He played guard last season. The book on him is that he's a better center uh, than he is a guard, and so um, that's why you're seeing him very much in this mix right now. And again, I couldn't call it right now if you asked me. Well, that's what I was going to get into, short-term versus long-term. Because Evan Brown's only here one year, and because, well, for now, you know, one-year contract, and because he has that NFL experience. He's already played games at center, Olu a true rookie, could you see him? Could you see them starting with Evan Brown and then maybe changing to Olu later in the season? Totally, yeah. And and you know, a lot of times that decision is made for you, right? Somebody gets hurt, uh, and you have to go to the other guy. I think the interesting thing about Olu with Timmy's background is, remember, he comes from well, he's come from a lot of different systems because mm-hmm. he was kind of a a nomad in college. I think he started at Air Force, uh, then went to Virginia. And then to Michigan as a grad transfer, so he's he's got experience in several different systems, including that Michigan system, which is a you know a pro style offense. And so he may have he may be more NFL ready uh, than a lot of rookies who would come in from you know some you know spread offense where you know they're not it's everything is shotgun and they're not really running the ball. Um, so he, he seems more pro ready than the average center coming out of college. Um, and so that's just another kind of intriguing aspect of that battle. And another reason why it's, it very much seems 50, 50, it's a coin flip right now. Well, one other position group I want to get into, and I, we will have time. We'll expand on this, uh, at eight 30, cause we're going to kind of give our takeaways so far from Seahawks training camp including this first full week of padded practice, and then what we expect and what our expectations are for the mock game tonight. But cornerbacks, there is an abundance of resources there. There is just a surplus of talent. You have a lot of guys moving around. We've heard Kobe Bryant getting some looks at safety. Devin Witherspoon, obviously, uh, getting a lot of looks at nickel. Right now, with Tariq Woolen out, you have Mike Jackson and Trey Brown as your starting corners. Yeah, and that's an interesting look right there. If you had to make a guess, assuming Tariq, Tariq Woolen is back, who's the other starting cornerback? Yeah, I, I do think Tariq Woolen is going to be back by the start of the season. I think they're just taking it slow with him, knowing that uh, it was a long time before the season opener, and he's coming off the arthroscopic uh, surgery in May. That was, you know, at the time they were talking about him 
uh, being back by the start of training camp. So I don't think that's something that's going to bleed into the regular season. You know he's going to be starting on the right side. They want to keep him there. Um, I, If I had to guess right now, I think what they're going to do is Devin, start Devin Witherspoon at left cornerback. Uh, and then when they go into nickel situations, move Devin Witherspoon inside to nickel, where he's been playing quite a bit even since uh, since late in the uh, you know spring. Mm-hmm. And then I think that they would, in that scenario, they would move Mike Jackson, take him off the bench, move him uh, to left cornerback where he started last season and played pretty well. And that's that's accomplishes two things that uh, gets Devin Witherspoon inside where you know he's known as a very heady, a very aggressive player, really good tackler. So you take advantage of a set of skills that really is is suits well, it plays well inside where you know. Guys who play Nickelback always talk about how fast things happen there and how how much it pays off to be sort of an instinctual, aggressive player. You know you're going to have to be involved in the run game, and we've seen from him that that's not an issue. He is not uh, at all shy about sticking his nose in the run game uh, and making plays there. And then it also gets Mike Jackson on the field. And I've said this before. Pete Carroll said it uh, at the end of the spring. Like Mike Jackson was the standout of OTAs in minicamp, and you know they didn't draft Devin Witherspoon fifth overall because they felt like that was a spot they absolutely had to upgrade. That was more of a case of he's the best player available there, um, and so why not take him even if you feel like you could, you know, play some good football with what you already have. Um, so and and I think that Mike Jackson sounds like he's taken a leap from last year, his first season as a starter to now, and so that scenario there with starting. Um, you know, Witherspoon on the outside opposite Woolen and then bringing Mike Jackson in, that accomplishes a lot. Um, and then you've still got Trey Brown there, who's a starting California NFL cornerback. So the, all, the fact that this is a conversation and the fact that in that scenario, you would still leave Trey Brown as the fourth cornerback. Like when he's your fourth cornerback, that's, you know, your depth is really good there. Yeah, Pete Carroll had a lot to say about that. And Witherspoon specifically at the nickel. We also talked to Trey Brown yesterday. Fantastic interview. So we'll get into a little bit more about that because it's a fascinating discussion. A lot of options, and that's better than the alternative. So that's coming up at 830. But up next, the Pac-12's future, it's evolving literally right as we speak. Some new news coming out. You need to know about that. We'll get it to you coming up next. It's the Brock and Salk Show. Mike Lefko and Brady Henderson in on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, the Pac-12 was dead. Now the Pac-12 is saved. Whatever's happening. The Pac-12 is certainly dramatic. Uh, Dan Wetzel and Ross Dellinger of Yahoo Sports have been all over this the past couple of days. And now both of them this morning say that, quote, the tides are turning. The Pac-12 may be meeting this morning to sign a grant of rights. They do have a meeting within the next hour to discuss their media deal and a potential grant of rights. So now... Things certainly look better than the dire situation that was unfolding yesterday where both the Arizona Board of Regents and Washington's Board of Regents were meeting. They were discussing, and it sounds like uh, the Pac-12 might not be dead after all. What a, what a wild and strange situation here. Yeah, the Pac-12 is dead. Long live the Pac-12. Is that what's happening here? It, an interesting uh, tweet from Ross Dellinger, who you just mentioned, is that apparently part of the reluctance from the Pac-12 schools is that they don't want the blame for basically 
killing the conference to be on them. They don't want that that guilt, that burden, uh, and then also the pushback from the Big Ten and the Blue Bloods there about not wanting to further expand. So it, it sounds like there is some uh, maybe some major roadblocks, and I, I wonder if this is more of a Hail Mary on the Pac-12's part or if this is a legitimate thing that could save the conference. We will get Brock's thoughts on this. Yeah. Brock Yard will join us at 7.30. He is plugged in. He's dialed into uh, his sources, his little birds around college football. So Brock will join us at 7.30 for more on that. But certainly a much different tone than what we were hearing yesterday when it seemed like the Pac-12's death was all but certain. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, the Mariners are a season high five games over 500 after a 5-3 to three win over the Angels. It happened in that way we've gotten used to over the past couple of seasons, that resolve, that comeback spirit where in the eighth or in the ninth inning, they just find a way to muster a comeback. It happened with a couple of walks to start the inning. Then the bases were loaded. Then Cade Marlowe Hits a go-ahead grand slam, and Scott Service uh, broke down the key at bat. That is some kind of swing. I mean, it's like 98, 99, whatever it was, 100 miles an hour at the top of the zone. You're a young player. You're just trying to get the bat there. Uh, that's really hard pitch to hit. And to hit it the way he did, uh, you know, good for him, good for us. Yeah, so Estevez, I don't know if you saw this, he got him swinging and missing first two times. Exact same pitch. So he got him once. Got him again. Got a little greedy. Went right back to it. And yes, credit K. Marlowe because that was 100 miles an hour, kind of inside middle, turns on it. But uh, maybe a little bit greedy on the, the part of the Angels' closer. Yeah, and that's an all-star closer who had converted 24 uh, save opportunities to, to that point. Is yeah, that hadn't right? blown one yet yeah, all season. Is that one of the, the is that the long-lost Sheen brother? Charlie Sheen, Emilio Estevez, <laughs> and then this guy? Is there any relation there? I don't think he looks like them. No? Okay. No. But uh, it could be. So uh, we were joking about this, that Marlowe becomes the first Mariner with a go-ahead grand slam while the team was trailing in the ninth inning or later since Richie Sexton all the way back in 2005. Well, who could forget that? Yeah, Richie Sexton. I mean, it was 2005, so I feel like maybe some could have forgotten that. But it's a long time ago it, when you really think about it. It is a long time it. ago. Yeah. As, as worrisome as that feels now, it uh, it was a long time ago. So huge moment there for the Mariners. They get the first win of this four-game series, Game 2 tonight at 638, and it's Luis Castillo on the mound for the M's. Here's the third thing you need to know. A lot of Seahawks things happening. The injuries are getting a little bit better, especially for running backs, where you look at Zach Charbonnet. He did come back to practice yesterday after we heard, well, an indefinite time he was going to be out. Uh, Ken Walker still not practicing, but it seems like more precautionary there. Daryl Taylor is now out with a sprained shoulder. We also learned, Brady, that... uh, the news came down yesterday that Geno Smith will not be charged by King County prosecutors for his January 2022 arrest on suspicion of DUI. So I think that was something that would pop up from time to time. We'd be like, wait, what's happening with that? It wasn't at the forefront for anyone because it happened almost two years ago now. But I guess good to see that something's been resolved there. Yeah, and, and I suspect that that did not come as news to either the Seahawks or Geno Smith just because the results came back. That was the first time that we, the public, uh, heard about it. But those results came back in April and they showed that uh, he was well under the legal limit in terms of his blood alcohol content as well as his THC content. Um, and so the long delay there, remember, this was basically the morning after their 2001 season finale. So you're talking about well over a year and a half ago. There was a delay uh, with the Washington State Crime Lab because there's a huge backlog uh, with blood test results there. And so that's why it didn't, the, the, those results were not processed until uh, this past spring. 
And they showed that he was well under the legal limit, and thus there was the the prosecutor's office felt like there was no case to charge him with either DUI or reckless driving. Uh, that was also another era ago because that was then that was backup, backup quarterback, quarterback Geno Smith. Smith. Yep, good symmetry there. there yeah, you go. love to say that in Look unison. At you guys. Look at us. We harmonize Man. well, don't we? We harmonize well. Uh, Seahawks Fan Fest happening today at five twenty. Gates to Lumen Field open at four o'clock. That should be a, a fun event there. Uh, a couple other things you need to know. Uh, former Seahawks offensive lineman Jamarco Jones was cut by the Titans after getting into not one, but two fights in one week at training camp. Yeah, I never saw that kind of like, uh, I never saw that from him in Seattle. I don't remember him being, here. yeah, like a hothead. And, you know, it's like, I think, as you pointed out, one of the details in the story was that he was fighting with Jeffrey Simmons, who's their stud defensive tackle. You, you see fights happen all the time in training camp, especially once the pads come on between offensive linemen and defensive linemen. Coaches don't like it, uh, and they especially don't like it when a star player is involved just because that's an easy way for a guy to get hurt. And I think if that was anybody else other than Jeffrey Simmons, there may have been a little more tolerance. Uh, I don't know if you would have seen Jamarco Jones get cut the way he did by Tennessee. Yeah, unfortunate too, because he was actually competing for a starting spot. Uh, the Titans have one of their offensive linemen suspended for the first six games of the season, so he might have had a chance. But yeah, you mess with the franchise cornerstone on defense, and you're going to get the hook. So Jamarco Jones, uh, let go there. And that is everything you need to know. All right, we need to get some insight on what is happening in the Pac-12. It seemed dire yesterday. It might not be today, or maybe it's all bluster and talk, but uh, a man that can provide some insight. Uh, you usually hear him here. He's joining us as a guest. Brock Heward will be with us next on the Brock and Salk Show. Mike Lefko and Brady Henderson in on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. This, this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Well, this is Brock and Salk, but it's Mike Lefko and Brady Henderson today. Although we do have Brock Heward with us now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Brock, I assume you're on your way to save the Pac-12. Uh, is that what's happening right pretty now? Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty much. And this also, I think, pretty much one of the last Brock and Salk shows that that uh, before football season get going that isn't Brock and Salk. So it is going to be go time here really soon. I apologize for the voice. I'm realizing as I wake up this morning. That uh, little horse, and that's not for screaming about the Pac-12 or the Pac-10 or the Pac-9 or at the Big Ten or anything else. Football practice last night. Head coach was stuck in traffic for an hour plus. So texted me and said, can you take over? (laughs) And I I said, like like Justin Herbert, when he got called, right, uh, when what's-his-name punctured his lung on the sidelines, like, yeah, hey, rookie, you're in. You're taking over. So, yeah, the voice a little shot after hooting and hollering at the boys for a couple of So hours you're saying night. you did a lot of yelling? Uh, encouragement. Okay. Yeah, a yeah. lot of encouragement. Yes. Yeah, not not anything negative whatsoever with 13 and 14-year-olds. Can't do that on day two of practice. All very much positive, which this is kind of a tell a little bit, or I don't know, analogous to it feels like what's going on in the, in the Conference of Champions, in the conference I love, that uh, just kind of at first – Blush. It feels like doomsday yesterday. I'm getting phone calls from friends, friends in the media. And I was like, what? Yeah, what's going on? I'm just checking in on you. Like, what? <laughs> what? I mean, is it done? Oh, it's done. Yeah, it's done. And we wake up this morning and 
boy, it's amazing what a power cycle overnight can do uh, to one's conscience. And I think to these presidents who right now are sitting in a meeting feeling like they don't want to be the ones to destroy this conference. So do, you, do you think that is really part of, of the, the holdup here? And I read a tweet from Ross Dellinger saying that you know part of the hesitancy with some of these schools that are thinking about leaving is they don't want that burden on them of, of basically being the death knell to this 108-year-old conference. Do you think it's more about that, or could it be more about pushback from the Big Ten and not wanting to further expand beyond what they already have? Yeah, I think unlike Brady, unlike the Devin Witherspoon situation where there was no negotiation because the numbers were the numbers, this has been an active negotiation that's been ongoing. The conferences like the Big Ten vetted Oregon and Washington. They knew uh, everything they needed to know. Everything was in place. And then ultimately it comes down to, well, kind of like George Klievkoff, ultimately presenting the numbers he has. We laughed at him. We balked and balked at him on Monday. Well, when those numbers got presented to the boards and the CEOs and the power brokers at Oregon and Washington, total hunch and speculation. But my gut was, uh, this isn't, this isn't what we sign up for. This is not, this is, what are we doing here? And then as you get together this morning and through the night, as they have done, uh, then I think the other part comes into play. That if the money is not that significant, significantly great, if the stability is not all that maybe we thought it would be, that the share is not nearly as great, then let's look at each other, as you said, in the hundred plus years of relationship some of us have had. And are we willing to do this? Are we willing, frankly, to hurt Pullman and Corvallis and Berkeley in ways that we don't want to be the ones that have that blood on our hands? Well, Brock, a grant of rights is all well and good. We've seen teams leave, though, in a conference with a grant of rights. Oklahoma and Texas certainly uh, weren't deterred by that. So they signed the grant of rights. If the Pac-12 stays intact, you're back where you are, right? So now... Are they going to go with Apple? I mean, what's the TV deal situation looking yep, like? Yep, your guess and Mora's guess and Justin's guess and Brady's guess and my guess is as good as anybody's guesses out there. That to, exactly to your point, this is not a media rights deal. This is a, a grant of rights that we are all furthering, I guess, our brotherhood. Uh, but then what happens if the Big Ten finally does come in at a much higher share? This is big boy and big girl negotiations. This is a p- politics at a level that I get very, very uncomfortable you know what I, where I get comfortable? When I get a text that says, can you take over football practice? <laughs> Do you know where I get very uncomfortable? Trying to figure out the political game, the maneuvers and the machinations of those that have millions to billions on the line. There, I say, no, thank you. Brock, let's take a step back here. Big picture. How, how did we get to this point? Because I remember a decade or so ago, I was working here at this station and you guys, Brock and Salk had a, a guest, a, a guy was like a, a reporter for the university of Texas. And it was talking about, you know, the, the big orange story. bloods, orange bloods. That's right. Yeah. Chip, Chip Brown, I think was the guy's <laughs> name. And the conversation was, is Texas going to join? I think it was still the PAC 10 at the time. How, how did mm-hmm. it get from that to this, where it seems like the conference is on the brink of imploding? It was this all, sort of Larry Scott, uh, was some of this inevitable? How, how do you feel like it got to this point? Yeah, it's college athletics and the constant movement and change. If we really do look at college athletics over the years and even in our lifetimes, there used to be a Southwest Conference, there used to be a Big Nine, there used to be a Big East, there used to be lots of things. So that it's just uh, the inevitable change, Brady, that does uh, that does happen in this sport of realignment and looking out for our own best interests. We watched a couple conferences, the Big Ten and the SEC balloon into absolute superpowers with 
uh, deals and TV deals and more revenue than there than anybody else in the playing field getting less and less level is that occurred you're absolutely right i mean and that was 2009 you know when the station started and larry scott came aboard what a year later or so and yeah and oklahoma and texas were there and you know and here comes this innovative whiz kid from uh, outside the box who said you know who initially looked at that thought about it and then said no no we're not going to do it not going to do it. We're not going to bring them in. Texas wants to have their own Longhorn Network. Never, no, nay, never. Not going to happen in my conference as, my, as I'm the commissioner. And I'm saying that very powerfully. That was also the president's right next to him saying, nope, Texas, you're not going to come in here and have the Longhorn Network. Well, the Longhorn Network greatly fizzled, <laughs> much like the Pac-12 Network has horrendously fizzled. And uh, Larry Scott thought, nope, again, and the president's. And I think that's important distinction here. This is not just Larry Scott like Roger Goodell. This is Larry Scott and the presidents and the board of regents and the power decision makers in this conference who thought it would be better to not pair with Fox, to not pair with ESPN. I know there's some listening right now that are like, Brock, you're the biggest hypocrite. You get this big old paycheck from Fox. You work for Fox, and this is all Fox is doing. Fox ran the Big Ten. ESPN's running the SEC. This is all about the TV networks. Well, you know what? Way back when... Uh, Fox very much wanted to partner with Larry Scott. And why don't you move your league office to Los Angeles? And why don't we do this deal like the SEC did with the ESPN at that time? And they thought, in their judgment, no way, not going to do it. And in fact, we're going to move to the most expensive real estate we can possibly find. And we're going to live you know, with the richest champagne there is. And we're going to move to San Francisco. And we're going to start our own network. And we're going to bet on ourselves. And our network's going to make so... oh. Our, met, our network's got less ratings than the Olympic channel. Like, nobody watches. And you no couldn't revenue. even watch it, right? Some people couldn't, couldn't even get it. Yeah, it's because direct TV. So not only did you not partner with one of the main you know, media companies out there that just so happens to be in, in Los Angeles, that just so happens know how to do this, and well, case in point, what the Big Ten did is they partnered with Fox originally, and you've watched that thing balloon. You're right. Direct TV even said, nah, no thanks. Got in that game of chicken, no thanks. So now you can't even watch it because it's not on direct TV right within the footprint of your West Coast. Those are the early stages of some of the some of the da- disaster that followed. Well, Brock, when you first came on and said your voice was hoarse, I assumed it was because you were screaming, Marlo! Wow. Wow. And doesn't that feel a little bit, if indeed this Pac-9 sticks together, <laughs> doesn't that feel a little bit last night? Because all the writing was on the wall. I mean, honestly, I had people in the media, friends of mine, peers of mine that are pretty darn connected calling me and uh, and just checking in, a wellness check on, on how you're doing. Wait, <laughs> on the Mariners? They're, they're checking no, in No, on, on the conference. Oh. And then and then we get to the, the Mariners, right? And there's kind of a wellness check through six, seven, eight, nine innings. You're down. Oh, Tony hits a home run. Oh, great. You're going to start this series with lots. Oh, Wu pitches phenomenal, except just one bad pitch to Mustakis, really. And then the base is loaded, no outs. And what's my boy Teo do? And he strikes out. Here we go. Double play is going to end it. Oh, no. Oh, two strikes on a reliever that hadn't given up a home run out of the strike zone. 98 that he couldn't catch out of the zone. 99 he couldn't catch out of the zone. So let's give him 100 right at the top of the zone. And dude delivers. I mean delivers. So doesn't that in some way feel like a very similar path to what we're just talking about? 
Yep, Arizona's going to leave. Up, oh, Corner School's going to leave. Up, oh, Oregon, Washington's going to leave. Up, oh, uh, ninth inning, you know, outs down to your final four strikes. What are you going to do? You got the final, I don't know, 10 hours to salvage this thing. Cade Marlowe hit a grand salami. Can the conference presidents and George Klievkoff actually hit as surprising a salami right now, this morning, this day, when just about everybody felt that tide was going the other way? Wow, that's an analogy. I don't think anyone's ever, until you, compared Cade Marlowe to the Pac-12 presidents. Nope. That's how you tie it all together. First time. First time. And if you had a little bit, Brady, Mora, Justin, uh, I'd love everybody to try to answer this. Be honest. Be honest. Um, And I'll give you one more analogy before I leave. And you guys do Blue 88 too. But before I do, be honest with me. What, What did you think? Two strikes. Bases loaded already. One strikeout. What was the percentage odds that a grand salami against that reliever was going to occur last night? I mean, those strikeouts didn't look good either. I, I would have put it at ten. Oh, I'm, 10. Going, I'm going near zero. I'm going one or two percent. Like, I think not a more. Chance I was thinking that more for the fact too that we just saw them with a man at third in the first inning, not score uh-huh. with no outs, and uh-huh. then we know the bases loaded, no outs has become kind of a running joke. So. When it got to bases loaded, no outs, there was more concern. And then, yes, the, uh, oh, well, there's one out. All right, somehow it's going to happen. Quick two strikes. We'll yep. see what happens here. Unreal. Get some weak contact, maybe get one run in. But, yeah, Brock, it feels like the magic's back now for the Mariners. Five Pretty games cool. over 500. Yep, uh, broke over that threshold through that glass ceiling for the first time this se- season. Gosh, the celebration at the end, right? These guys are usually... You know, even in, in big moments, understanding of and contextualizing it and knowing it's a long year. But you saw, I thought Scott put his guard down, hug Marlowe, just a celebration. And I think you said this, Lefko, yesterday, or, or one of our guests said and talking about just, hey, man, when it turned last year against those Angels, what was it? It was a total collective team effort. And it seemed like a different hero emerged every night in that winning streak. And as they got to new mountaintops and new mountaintops and new mountaintops, And let's hope that continues. Okay, one last analogy, and Brady will like this one. Okay. Pick my girls up yesterday. They're home from school, from college, for a couple weeks before we uh, have to drive them back up there. And Molly, uh, you know, is is the kids, and and Haley's got just two years of hoops left, and then she's going to phase into other stuff and out of sports. and, And she's like, you know what? After dinner tonight, we sat outside, beautiful night. Why don't we play cards? The girls seem to like to play cards. And when we're with some other family friends, they all play cards. I'm not a big cards player. All right. I'll just be honest. I'm not a big cards player. But hmm. I'm like, okay, let's do it. Let's do it. We're all fun. Titus is at this hilarious puberty age of 13 and loud and obnoxious and all this <laughs> stuff. And so we play the card game. You guys ever play this game called BS? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I can't remember how it's played, but I think yeah. I've played it before. Yeah. It's a lying game. It's how good of a liar are you, basically? And uh, so we play this this game, and it's ongoing. It feels like it's going on forever. Nobody's going to win because none of – well, the Heward kids are great liars, and I'm not a great liar. As I said, this negotiation's not good. But ultimately, somehow, some way, Titus finds a way to win, finds a way to get it done, and just calls BS. And again, just as I wake up this morning to all of these messages now and these tweets of, was this just the largest, biggest game of that that we saw negotiate in front of our eyes over the last three, four, five days, actually the last couple months, you know, until the cards were finally played and you had to put your cards down (laughs) and see whether you really did have two eights or really did have, you know, four kings or you really did have these cards that you're saying you have and the rest of the table's got to read you. Was it really that bad of a deal? 
when that when that card was played, you know, with the Big Ten share to these members, and the numbers started, it was really not that good, and really actually better for us as a family to play cards together and stick together. It's feeling that way, and uh, I guess we'll have to see how these hands continue to get dealt. Brock, have you seen How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days? Great scene no. in that movie with that game. No, is it really? Yeah, go watch okay. that movie. That's How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. McConaughey. Kate Hudson. Kate Hudson. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, I, I have seen that movie. Is that the game that Frost they were yourself, playing? Brock. Yeah, that's the no, game they were playing. That's the game they were playing. They were huh? playing that, yeah. Well, 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 well. Brock, well, I, I got to ask you real quick, because when you were telling me about this uh, interim coaching experience you had yesterday, uh-huh. I couldn't stop thinking about you on the sideline with your Ebenezer Scrooge glasses on, mm-hmm, the huge mm-hmm. you know, diner menu play sheet. <laughs> Did, I got to know, did you have the Ebenezer's on? Brady, practice too. Nowhere near Ebenezer's, brother. This is up-downs. This is agility drills. This is learning the, the routes. We're, we don't get to installation till next week. Uh, okay. So, no, this is more boot, more boot camp, conditioning. Get the bodies ready for what's coming. All right. Thanks, gotcha. Brock. I appreciate the question, though. All right. Appreciate it, man. See you, boys. See okay. You. That, uh, fascinating answer there. Great analogies there. But we have to get to a segment that we normally do with Brock. Uh, it's time for Blue 88. Oh, Blue 88. This is Brock and Salk's Blue 88. A little bit of a distraction. Blue 88! Blue 88! We take you to the field as Brock Ewer breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Ewer and Mike Salk. All right, we just heard from Brock, but uh, Brady, you're playing the role of Brock right now in Blue 88. So question number one, what's an under-the-radar position that the Seahawks need to upgrade? Quarterback three, QB three. Now, they typically only carry two quarterbacks on their active roster uh, during the season. So the the third quarterback is the guy that you've got on the practice squad. Uh, They've got three quarterbacks right now. You know who the top two are going to be. It's going to be Geno Smith, Andrew Locke. The other quarterback they've got in camp right now is an undrafted rookie named Holton Ehlers. And he's been up and down, I I think, to put it nicely. And I, I just... And, and look, to give the kid credit, he has looked better uh, over the last few days where you start to see some things there. But by and large, I think that is a position uh, that they're going to have to upgrade because I, I just, you know, typically with that third quarterback spot, you want it to either be a veteran sort of emergency option like they had last year with Sean Mannion or you want it to be uh, a young guy with a lot of developmental upside, a guy with a lot of uh, physical traits that you really feel like you can develop him into something. And I just don't see, I don't think he's either of those two things. And so I, I, it's, I don't think it's any coincidence that that's a position where if you look at the transaction wire, at the different positions they've been trying out, they've taken a look at a number of other quarterbacks. I think they're going to continue to do that. I think they're going to have a very close eye uh, on cut down day on who becomes available. Maybe it's another you know quarterback who was drafted this year uh, who they liked coming out of the draft, but not enough to, to spend a pick on. Maybe one of those guys becomes available. Sean Mannion is still available. So maybe part of their thinking now is that they know they've got him in their back pocket, a, a veteran guy who's been around uh, for a number of years and who has a lot of familiarity with uh, the Shane Waldron system, having played under Waldron and McVeigh with the Rams. And so, um, yeah, I think that is, I, if, I, if I had to guess right now, I would say 100% that is a position where you're going to see a change between now and the start of the regular season. And I would guess that it happens sometime after cutdown day. Long live Alex Magoo. 
With the Alex Packers Magoo. now, I had to look that up. Yeah. He had a good USFL season. He did, and, and they've sort of, I think they He was the MVP you, of okay. the USFL. I knew it was good. I didn't know it was that good. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Long live Alex Magoo. Alex Magoo holds the distinction of being the only other quarterback mm-hmm. other than Russell Wilson that this regime has drafted. So for all the history with you know John Schneider coming from Green Bay, where it seems like they took a quarterback every year, they've only drafted two in, what is it, 14 drafts? Russell Wilson, Alex Magoo. Mm. There you go. Go figure. All right, number two. That is that is a great trivia question. If you have some very specific Seahawk trivia somewhere, sometime, uh, remember that one. All right, number two. Who will start at outside linebacker on the other side, opposite of Uchenna? Yeah, and this is suddenly more of a question now that Daryl Taylor is, uh, you know, sidelined right now with the, the shoulder spin. Again, the word from Pete Carroll yesterday was that it, he does not need surgery doesn't sound like something that is going to affect him you know for the start of the regular season but it does give some of those other guys an opportunity to, to step up to play with the number one defense uh and and to show you know the coaches that they are a, an option you know it's been to this point it's been obviously Chenoweth, so you know he's going to be a starter you know he's going to play you know well over 80 percent of the snaps uh, and they've had daryl taylor working with the number one defense opposite Nwosu on early downs. But remember, go back to last season. Daryl Taylor started the year uh, as that at starter opposite Nwosu, and then he basically wasn't getting it done against the run. They brought in Bruce Irvin, tried some other guys there. And so uh, I think that starting job is very much up for grabs. Right now, I'm if I had to guess right now, I'm going to say Boye Mafe. And, you know, he was a guy who was part of that great draft class last year, a second-round pick. Didn't have the impact that some of those other guys, certainly not Ken Walker, not Tariq Woolen, uh, not the two rookie tackles. Like he played a lot, didn't have a huge impact. It seemed like they were kind of figuring out what the best role for him is. And I'll tell you this the, the couple days, two or three days that they've done the one on one pass rush drill, he's been one of the guys that has stood out the most. You see the physical tools there, the, the quickness, the explosion, the power. And the word from Clint Hurt the other day, which I thought was interesting, is that. He is starting to figure it out against the run, starting to make to be more extinct, uh, instinctual, starting to have a better feel for what's going on. Uh, and if you're going to play on early downs, you've got to get it done against the run. Daryl Taylor struggled with that last year. That's going to be, I think, what determines whether Boye Mafe, whether Taylor or somebody like Derek Hall, their second round pick, it fills that role on early downs opposite Nwosu. If I had to guess right now, just based on what I've seen from Mafe, what I've heard from Clint Hurt, I'm going to say that he's going to be the starter there. Number three. Uh, I promise this is a serious question. Brady, why are you worried about the long snapper position? Yeah, we normally don't talk a whole lot of long snapper. I'm sure you guys don't. We don't talk about it uh, in the media room, but we probably should talk more about it. Then. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it there there is they are making a change there. They have made a change there. Tyler Rott uh, held down that position for a long time. They did not resign him. From what I understand, there wasn't a huge effort to resign Tyler Rott. He signed a, a minimum salary deal. Uh, with Baltimore, and they're going right now with an undrafted rookie named Chris Stoll from Penn State, and it is an interesting switch because you know a lot of times when you a team moves on from a, a veteran guy uh, and they go with a young player, it's it's all financially driven, right? Uh, when you look at the savings here, you know Tyler Ott signed a minimum salary deal with what's called a veteran salary benefit. We don't need to get too technical there, but his cap number is only nine hundred and forty thousand uh, dollars. That's about that's less than $200,000 that they're saving against the cap by going with Chris Stoll is only going to count, you know, about 750,000. So 
this is not a huge money saver. And, and the point I'm making here is that, you know, they're not they're going with a younger player, but not getting what is usually the benefit of going with a younger player where you save a whole lot of money. Again, two hundred thousand dollars. It's not nothing, but it's not typically the, the kind of savings that you see a team make uh, by going with a younger player. And so, um, you know, they do have uh, Carson Tinker was the guy who filled in for Ott last season when Ott hurt his shoulder. Uh, he is still available. So maybe part of the thinking is, A, maybe there is some concern about Ott's injury uh, situation. And maybe they know that, you know, Carson Tinker is still in their back pocket in case the rookie Chris Stoll falters. But uh, that is going to be a position to watch just because, um, talking about a guy who hasn't done it before and that's you know it's not a position that is usually top of mind with people right. but you can you can lose games with a having a, a you know errors there at long snap it's not one you think about much because you hope you never have to think about it until they pop up like the, the right. officials like referees like umpires you never want to hear about them because if you do it's probably for a bad reason so right. we'll spend 20 more minutes on the long snapper talk at 8 30 no i'm just kidding uh but no it it is a good point something you don't think about uh before we hit the break here craig in the 425 points out that alex magoo won an mvp before russ Ooh. oh come on no, that's funny. That's it's a good one on a Friday, but uh, different leagues. It is, it is before Russ got a single before, MVP I would say vote. before you got a vote. Yeah. yeah, because they changed the MVP voting. So yes, certainly Russell Wilson would have gotten some MVP votes here had it been uh, the new way they do it. But it's a funny little joke on a Friday there from Craig. Uh, all right, more Seahawks stuff coming up. We're going to continue our most intriguing Seahawk countdown. We're on to what number sixteen. Yeah, we're on to number 16 on our list of most intriguing Seahawks. That's coming up at 8 o'clock. This is the Brock and Salk Show. You have Mike Lefko and Brady Henderson here on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app.